Welcome to the Healthy Podcast presented by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare. My name is Rob Branya, and I am pleased to welcome today's guest, Dr. Richard Caesar, who's a urologist at Melrose Wakefield Hospital and at Tufts Medical Center Community Care. Thank you for being here and welcome to the Healthy Podcast. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Dr. Caesar, when preparing for today's podcast, I tried to pick up some interesting factoids. And I came across this one. Half of all men ages 51 to 60 have BPH, which is benign prostatic hyper, hyper, hyperplasia. Hyperplasia, thank you. Um, otherwise known as enlarged prostate. Yes. Um, and the incidence increases every decade of life. That's true. So that paints a pretty interesting picture. And I think it's a great place for us to begin. Um, so, Dr. Caesar, could you please tell us about BPH, um, which affects so many men? Uh, who gets it and why? Is there anything men to, can do to prevent it? Um, so if you could set the stage for us. Sure. Well, as you mentioned, it's a very common phenomenon with men as they age. Their prostates tend to enlarge um, it's actually uh, commonly seen genetically. So it's not uncommon for men whose father or uncle or brother have had similar issues as they get older. Um, the prostate's one of these organs where it has some function as we are in our reproductive years. However, once we're finished with our reproductive years, it has no real function at all. And it's just a source of aggravation. And unfortunately, it leads to really issues with quality of life as we get older. And it turns out that as the prostate enlarges, uh, the bladder starts to become somewhat debilitated and struggles to empty in many cases where if the bladder is not emptying completely, men will have this urge to go frequently and they feel like their bladder is not emptying and it just drives them crazy. They get up several times at night. They uh, are just really, you know, really uncomfortable with the whole situation. So um, the, the other issue is obviously prostate cancer in patients, some patients. Uh, so if men do have some of these issues, they certainly need to be screened for prostate cancer. Um, but prostate cancer can also come along without any type of symptoms as well. So... Uh, I think that the bottom line is over the years, we've sort of treated men with medications uh, for BPH, but now we're becoming a lot more proactive with treatment. And we're, we know that, you know, chronic blockage from the prostate is leads to really poor effects of the bladder where the bladder becomes debilitated over time. It's a muscle and it becomes tired and it doesn't work as well as it once did. And if the, the blockage continues, then unfortunately the bladder takes a hit and there are some men that ultimately can't empty their bladders at all. Uh, so it, it goes from you know, a real problem with their quality of life where they're getting up several times to some patients needing a catheter or some type of drainage mechanism for their, to empty their bladders. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so you mentioned genetics. There could be some genetic component. Are there other things that in particularly lead um, to having BPH? Is it ethnicity? Is it 
um, being overweight? Is it, um, you know, can we prevent it by eating broccoli or something? Um, yeah. what, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there are um, things that we can control in our diet, as you alluded to. Um, we basically tell our patients, you know, caffeine, spicy foods, and alcohol are one of the big culprits of making these symptoms worse. And really has to do with the bladder as well as the prostate, because if there's a stimulate to the bladder, it's going to lead to symptoms of frequency and urgency. Um, we know that patients with diabetes also have a higher risk of problems emptying their bladder. Turns out that the nerves that control bladder function can be compromised in men with diabetes. So if their bladders aren't functioning like it should and the prostate is present as sort of like the solid obstruction, then they're going to really experience a lot more symptoms as they get older because their bladders are, com are compromised from the get-go. So as far as, um, you know, things to consume, there, there's been some data looking at some certain vitamins, you know, uh, one being zinc. Some people think that, uh, you know, vitamins, multivice, including zinc, may be helpful. Uh, there's also some uh, vitamins on the market, salt palmetto in particular, that people have think that they may be helpful as well. Um, there's not a whole lot of downside to salt palmetto. Um, it does help certain men with their symptoms. But I think in the bottom line is, you know, we've been sort of treating men with you know, both vitamins and medications for years. And I think now the really focus has to be on the bladder and trying to preserve the bladder. And that's why as urologists, we're becoming more proactive when gentlemen come in to see us with this problem. We're becoming much more uh, involved with trying to find ways to help them alleviate the blockage from their prostate as opposed to just medication and seeing you, you in a year because our goal is to maintain the health of the bladder. Okay. So uh, my guess is that there are many men suffering in silence um, with, with, with this. Oh, there's no question. So tell us a little bit about why it's so important to treat and not ignore. Well, I think the main reason is, um, you know, quality of life and, and men's behavior, whether... Uh, during the day when they're always trying to find a bathroom or they're, you know, maybe limit their travel or so, so that's a big piece of it. Um, and, you know, it, it does affect, you know, relationships and it does affect um, just one's sort of ability to function as they once did, you know, and not have to worry about it, you know, going out socially. So, those are the things that, but also it has an effect on the bladder, like I had alluded to before. Yeah. And men aren't always quick to talk about health issues, um, more so if we're talking about sexual health or urology. Mm -hmm. um, how do we get the dialogue started? I think, you know, we, we do as urologists is we give our patients, all of our patients, a questionnaire. It's called International Prostate Symptom Score. And we have them answer seven questions, you know, which are based on 
how often do you get up at night to go to the bathroom? How often do you go more frequently than two hours? Uh, how often do you feel like you're not emptying your bladder completely? And we score that, and we try and be as objective as possible. And once we look at the score, we have a mild, moderate, and severe symptoms score. And based on that, we'll determine what the next step is. And if, if guys are in the usually moderate or severe category, we tell them that we need to get a little more information about their bladder and about their flow and how it compares to other guys their age. And then give them options based on that information. Okay. So let's talk about treatment options mm-hmm. um, and the side effects that go along with those. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure like all other ailments, there's sort of a history of how treatments have evolved. Yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit sure. about that? You know, historically, um, if you want to go back, you know, centuries, uh, going back to uh, the uh, Roman times, and then even, you know, through Benjamin Franklin, they were actually taking reeds and catheterizing themselves if they could not empty their bladders. So unfortunately, there was no surgical uh, treatments back in these times. Now, we've actually progressed, and it turned out back in the, uh, I would say, probably mid-20s of the last century, is when we were able to start to use um, diagnostics where we can actually look in through the penis into the bladder and see the prostate. And then we had a, a procedure that became uh, fairly common uh, called a TURP, which is what in the uh, common man's term, the rotor job. And basically what, what that involved, it was looking in with a telescope, and it still does, uh, using a, um, a cautery, which is basically a loop metal loop, which is hot, and it basically just cuts through the prostate. Um, so you create a larger cavity in the channel where the prostate lives. So at the conclusion of the TERP procedure, um, a catheter is used for usually a couple of days. And that was the standard therapy. And it actually still is, in, in uh, for the most part, with, in all honesty, with most urologists, because um, that's what we were all trained to do. Um, one of the problems with the TERP uh, used to be problems with bleeding and sexual dysfunction. And by sexual fun- dysfunction, not necessarily ejac- erection issues, but ejaculation issues. So when men undergo the TERP, they almost always have no more ejaculate because that tissue is cauterized. Um, so that was, that was sort of the standard, you know, procedure done. Yeah. So it almost came down to making some sort of a choice, if you will. Yeah. And the problem with the TERP was it was being used with pretty much everybody's the size of the prostate. Now the very large prostates, we would, you know, in residency, I would, we would make an incision and remove the prostate, which is a fairly morbid type of procedure some blood loss, the patients were in the hospital for several days. And the ones, the prostates, which were a little smaller, we would do the TERP. But also, it was very operator-dependent. So the TERP would involve removal of tissue. So if you were an experienced urologist, you were likely to remove a good amount of tissue. If you weren't as experienced, you may not remove as much tissue. 
or you may get in some bleeding. So it's very operator dependent and it's like anything else, you know, it depends on who's, who's doing the procedure. Okay. And the, the last point I'll make is after a TERP, many times two to three years later, guys would be coming back where they have similar symptoms that they did, you know, before their TERP because, you know, maybe there wasn't enough tissue removed at the time. Maybe, uh, you know, the patient's prostate is so large that they couldn't remove as much tissue as they would like. And here we are again, similar problem. But now um, I understand that we're on sort of a new cutting edge yes. uh, in technology and treatment. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about um, this new development. Yeah. So there's actually a, a couple of developments that have occurred over the last five years. And uh, we've become um, less invasive and at the same time, giving men less side effects from the treatment. And the first treatment I'll talk about is called a prostatic urethral lift. And what that involves is basically remolding the prostate. So we're not removing any tissue. We're taking these sutures and basically opening up a curtain like you would when the curtain opens on the stage. We're using those sutures to open up the prostate. And... It's, it's a great little procedure because what happens is a lot of the guys do not need catheters after the procedure. Some do for, you know, a couple hours and it comes out. But the beauty is that there's no change in sexual function, no issues with any ejaculation. You're basically just remodeling the prostate to create a cavity that wasn't there before. Um, so we're doing the same thing as the TERP was doing although we're not removing any tissue, which is a really huge advance. That's been, we've been doing that for about five years now in, in the States, a little longer in Europe, and the results have been very good. Um, the only downside with, with the prostatic urethral lift is there is a limit with the size of the prostate. So if the prostates are greater than 80 grams, uh, we tend not to use that technique. But anybody with you know, a, a smaller prostate is probably a candidate for that procedure. Okay. And is that a day procedure? Or it or, is. Okay. It's all outpatient. Patient right. goes home the same day. It's, it's a very, very, and a lot of urologists are doing it in their offices, okay. um, which, which is really convenient for patients. Great. Okay. And then the, the second uh, advancement uh, was a, a technique that actually we're doing here at Melrose. We're the only um, facility in New England except for there's one in Vermont, but in the Boston area, no one else is doing called aquablation. And aquablation is a very ingenious technique where we're using forced, forced water to actually remove a portion of the prostate. So if you can sort of see when you power wash your deck, you use very high-powered jets that will remove that, that uh, coating on your deck. When we use the prostate, we actually use a robot and an ultrasound. So the ultrasound will map out the prostate, look at the anatomy. The robot will determine the force of the jet of the water and determine how, you know, how significant, how deep we want to actually remove, how much prostate tissue we want to remove. We spare the ejaculatory duct so there's no issues with ejaculation. Um, and we can do it on glands up to 200 grams. So it's a really 
great technique and actually it's done for all sizes. Uh, it's been shown that uh, the results have been excellent, comparable to TERP or even better in some situations where there's no human factor because the robot maps out everything. All you have to do as a urologist is basically use the ultrasound and make sure that the, uh, the anatomy is what you would expect and then do the procedure. So it sounds like you get all the benefits of TERP. You don't have the side effects. Correct. And it fits for everyone. It does. Okay. It does. It's, right. it's, a, it's a great procedure for, for men with, particularly with very large prostates, but we've done it with patients, you know, between 50 and up. So that's generally my, my rule of thumb. Okay. And again, is that a, an inpatient or is that an outpatient So procedure? that procedure, um, a lot of our patients will stay overnight um, because there's a little higher incidence of bleeding uh, with that procedure than, say, the Urolift. However, we're now starting to do that as outpatients. So we'll basically watch the patient for a couple hours, and if the urine looks okay, we'll send them patients home. We just did one yesterday, and the gentleman went home, and he's doing very well. So um, it's now becoming more common to send the patients home, although for the last several years, the standard has been to keep the patients overnight just to monitor them and... and, uh, and we've also, at the conclusion of aquablation, what's changed over the last couple of years is we now, because the first studies have shown that there was a little higher incidence of bleeding if nothing else was done. But now over the last couple of years, we've taken the loop that we use for the TERP and we cauterize the neck of the bladder. And by doing so, that's really cut down the incidence of any issues with bleeding significantly. Okay, great. And this is done right here at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. It is. Okay, so, you know, you don't have to go into Boston for the best technology uh, to treat BPH. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. Right. And can you talk a little bit about that, um, your role uh, here in the community and and what that means for people? Um, You know, we, we just see more and more instances of, you know, trying to get into Boston during the traffic and the, the cost of parking and, and, you know, needing to take a full day off from work, you know, mm. to go in for, for an appointment um, where we offer everything right here in the community. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and why that's important to both you and your patients? Well, I think it's just a lot more convenient, P- particularly patients, elderly patients that have difficulty with, getting rides and, and uh, like you had mentioned, the parking issue. And, and it's just just more convenient for patients to get to our hospital and our clinic, which is next door to the hospital. Um, and I think patients appreciate that. It's, it's uh, a, lot, a lot less planning that's involved to, to make an appointment. So what's the major takeaway here for men um, you know, it, it sounds like we've come a long way in treatment options and the, the way that we think about um, BPH and, and prostate issues. Um, so it doesn't have to be a dire choice for men to make. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I think men avoided any type of surgical procedure in the past because of the potential complications of sexual dysfunction, erection issues, bleeding, um, but now we're, you know, we, we've 
the actually one of the major medications that we've been using, which is tamsulosin, they found that men 65 or older have a higher incidence of dementia while they're on this medication. So that's concerning for men who have been on it for a while. And what we found with these medications is they stop working after a while. They just so men will sort of just deal and, and, and you know just feel like this is part of life and they have to deal with these symptoms of getting up four or five times at night. But I think the take-home message is the treatment options now are so much better than they were before and in the sense that you know their sexual function is maintained. Um, they're done many times as outpatients and they can stop taking medication, which is a real benefit for most, a lot of men. They don't want to, they're taking enough medication, you know, you know, the less medication, the better. And, and uh, particularly this one that's concerning about dementia. Dr. Richard Caesar, urologist at Melrose Wakefield Hospital. Thank you for being part of the Healthy Podcast. This was enlightening. Um, so we really appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed this podcast or have feedback for us or want to suggest future topics, please drop us a note at community at melrosewakefield.org. The Healthy Podcast is co-produced by Melrose Wakefield Healthcare and Wakefield Community Access Television. For more information, listings of community events and lectures, or to find a doctor, visit melrosewakefield.org. All content heard on the Healthy Podcast was created for informational purposes only. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or qualified provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.